Amen. <clears throat> Do me a favor and track down a Bible. There should be Bibles down by your feet in baskets, and if you would, please turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. If you grab one of our Bibles, you'd find that on page 886, 886. Um, we're starting a mini-series right now. We're looking at what would it be like if we as a church were 100% committed to the things of God? And what would it look like if individual Christians were 100% committed to the things of God? What would this experience be like for you as you come to church on a Sunday and live your life out in relationship with other believers throughout the week? And so we're looking at this, uh, this idea of 100% commitment, and when we turn to Acts and we see what's going on there, I think we get a really profound example of it. So I'm going to read verses 32 to 35. We'll pray, and then we'll get after it. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Let's pray. God, we believe that you right now can speak to us. We believe, God, that by your Spirit, through your Word, you can communicate to us, and we believe that that would change our hearts, that that would accomplish something, that you could transform us on the spot this morning. And we're asking, God, that you would help our church to more and more embody the ideal that we find here. Help us to become a community that people walk into and they notice this is a spirit-filled community that are walking together by faith in, in what you're doing, God. And we pray that you would help us to love one another, to be on mission with you, and to care well for each other. We pray all of this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're going to find here is that this spirit-filled community, they experience unity, they're on mission, and they care well for each other. And one of the things I just want to point out to you before we jump into these different ideas is that this is a spirit-filled community. That if you just kind of back up into the paragraph right before, you find out that the leaders of this movement were just in prison and they got set free, that there were threats against their lives. And what do they do when they gather back together with other Christians? They pray. And they pray and they ask God, would you please, in, in light of these threats, in light of the opposition that we're facing, would you give us your spirit so that we could boldly proclaim your name? They're not changing, they're not asking for a change in circumstances. God, make life easy. They're saying, fill us so that we could do what you want us to do, no matter how challenging or hard that might be. So they are a spirit-filled community, and as a result of that, they begin to experience a few different things here. The first one I want you to see is they have unity. Look with me at verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. Here's what's significant here. They were of one heart and one mind. This is a church community. This is the people of God, and they actually agree on something right? That they're all together and they have one heart and one mind. There's this unity on display here. The church is a place where they're, they're experiencing this solidarity. We're in this thing together. We're going in the same direction. We, we, we're in agreement with one another. And the church needs to be a place where that is true, where when you come to church, there should be this relational beauty. There should be this 
reality that we deal with one another in a way that reveals our unity, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that we actually care about each other, that we're sincere in the way that we relate to each other. Now, the opposite, maybe it's helpful for us to think about what the opposite is, disunity, the lack of harmony. You can come into a church and you can be like, this is not a safe environment for me. I can come into a church experience and, and where there's disunity and disharmony, then, then there's things like resentment, and you feel threatened, and you feel like you can't be open or honest or vulnerable. We want to experience this kind of community where by the Spirit of God, we are filled with Him, and we relate to one another in a beautiful way. Now, when that happens, when we are walking with the Spirit, um, I do think it shows up in beautiful ways. Galatians chapter 5, it's another place in the Bible, but it describes what it's like to be in harmony with the Spirit. And when you're walking by the Spirit, it's all these relational terms. It's love and peace and patience and gentleness, self-control, all these different things that are relational terms that say, look, if the Spirit is in you and you have the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you, then when you gather with the people of God, it ought to feel beautiful. That you come in here and you can relate to one another. And we talk about this as a gospel culture. That we want to have a culture where it is safe to be here. Where you can be honest. Where you can just reveal your brokenness and your neediness. And other people will sincerely care for you. But the opposite of that is relational ugliness. The flesh. Galatians chapter 5 talks about what it's like to be in an environment where the flesh is the operating principle. There's resentment. You come in and you look at other people and you resent them. You don't like them. There's bitterness. There's anger and rage and malice, selfishness, all these different things. The church is supposed to be the place where the community of the redeemed filled with the Spirit of God create this safe relational place. And I hope that we can become that sort of place as a church. It's one of the ambitions that we have. And the way that we can pursue that is by pursuing our Lord Jesus Christ. The way that we can become better at relating to one another is that we pursue Christ and being filled with his spirit, and that'll actually help us with other people. A.W. Tozer, he put it like this. As he was illustrating this point, he said, has it ever occurred to you that a hundred different pianos, all tuned to the same tuning fork, are automatically tuned to one another? Tozer's pointing, pointing out, look, if you have this one standard and everything relates to that, you could have a hundred different, different pianos, different varieties even, but if they're all tuned to the same thing, they're in harmony with one another. We as a church, we need to say, look, we're going to tune our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to allow his spirit to fill us, and we're going to pursue that so that we could have this relational beauty with one another. We, we need to make this a priority, and I need your help with it. It's not something that can just be taught from the front. It has to be something that you guys embrace and you say, around here, what we strive for is relational beauty. We want unity within our church. We want the Spirit to help us love each other really, really well so that we could experience this kind of community. Now, I, I will share this. I, I think it's on me to, to help lead the charge in this regard. Um, Ajit Fernando, the director of Youth for Christ and Sri Lanka, he says, leaders in Christian organizations and in churches, they have to prioritize this. And, and he is saying, even though it is inefficient, right? Relational beauty is inefficient. 
Like if you're a leader and you're thinking, what's the best way to get things done to pursue relational beauty is hard work. To, to seek forgiveness and reconciliation between offended parties, that's hard work. That's inefficient. But he's saying you have to prioritize this. Relational beauty is the thing that sets the church apart. That if we're walking by the Spirit and you come in here, you should feel safe. You should feel loved. You should feel cared for. And you should recognize that some of the relationships in here can be profound because of this unity and because of this beauty. So here's my question for you. Can you look at your experience and say with honesty, that's true here? And I hope some of you say, yeah, at some level that's true. But here's my other question. How could you help increase that reality? Like, what could you do that would help relationships in this church family be more significant, more profound, more full of the love of God? I hope that you'll join me in this. I know I can't do it on my own, but I'm asking you to pursue this thing with me, that we would be a Spirit-filled community that is marked by the fruit of the Spirit, that we would have unity and love in our relationships. Here's the second thing that we see here. This community is on mission. Look at verse 33. It says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. He's saying, look, they had this beautiful community. They had this awesome experience of relational unity. They were of one heart and one mind. Oh, by the way, here was one of their priorities. The apostles were committed to proclaiming the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They, They prioritized that they wanted other people to experience the message of salvation. They were praying that God would fill them with boldness, not just for the sake of the community, but for the sake of those who aren't in the community yet. And then they they design their ministries accordingly. We need to be a place that is a part of this Spirit-filled mission. It's kind of sandwiched in there. So, So look at this. If you're looking at verse 32, it says, awesome community. Then you look down, verses 34 and 35, incredible community. And right there in the middle, Luke is trying to tell us something. This community is so rad, it's so incredible, it's so beautiful, and a part of the reason why it all works is because they are committed to the mission of God. That they are committed to proclaiming the message of salvation. There's a a commentator, um, his last name is Harrison, which is a great name, by the way, that's my son's name, and he puts it like this. He says, maintenance of the group was not the primary consideration. Above all, this was a witnessing community, and for this reason, they enjoyed much grace from the Lord. He's saying this community, because of their priorities, they wanted to share the message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. They wanted other people to come to saving faith in him. Because of that commitment, community was a part of the package deal. Here's what I'm suggesting. We need to be focused on helping other people experience what we have. We need to be focused on sharing the message, being a part of that mission that God is up to in this world. And we need to trust that by his grace, that'll actually help us experience greater degrees of community. Right? You know this to be true. When you are doing something significant with another person, when you're engaged in something, a project or a a trip, or you're doing something together, you build this camaraderie with the people you're doing life together with. And I'm suggesting, and I think it's here in the text, that when we say we're going to go after God's mission, we're actually going to get more community, not less. 
and, and we're going to be able to relate to other people and have this deeper degree of, of unity and, and, and this deeper degree of fellowship, but it's by prioritizing the advancement of the kingdom of God. We see this spirit-filled mission at work here in this story. And so let me share with you a few different implications. So if we're thinking about our church experience, how do we maintain that the mission of the church needs to keep advancing? All right, here's the first thing I would suggest. We need to pray that God would fill us with his spirit, make us bold, and help us to open our mouths. Right? That's what they were doing. They prayed, God, fill us, and they spoke boldly. They proclaimed the message of Christ. I don't want that to be a one-man show. I don't want this church to be a place where one dude talks about Christ. I'm hoping that God would open the mouths of all of us, and we would be praying, God, fill us with your spirit so that when we go to work and when we're hanging out with people and when we're spending time with our neighbors, when we're doing all these different things, help us to be bold. There's actually a study right now. Barna Group did a study, and they, they noticed that Christians nowadays are actually coming to the conclusion that, it, that they're thinking, maybe I don't even have to share my faith. Maybe it's not even appropriate to share my faith. That runs contrary to what God tells us. We have the most incredible news ever. We have the news of salvation. We shouldn't be thinking, yeah, I'm not going to do that. We should go out and pray, God, give us boldness that we would open our mouths and share this incredible message. People could be saved if I would be faithful to just tell them the news. That's awesome, and we should be praying that God would do that. We need to prioritize this sharing of faith and trust that God is going to help us build community in deeper ways. But let's go after making known the news of Christ. And leaders, let me talk to leaders for just a moment. Some of you guys lead ministry teams, and some of you guys lead small groups, and I want you to think about this. As you lead these different communities of people, these different smaller pockets of people in our church, I want you to keep in mind that you are preparing, or should be preparing, missionary disciples. The task that we have as leaders is to prepare other Christians to train and equip them to be able to make disciples. We should be making missionary disciples. If you're a leader in any regard in this campus, I hope that you see that as your high calling. You are called to make disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples. Now, if your vision for the people who are under your care doesn't match up with that, if the vision that you have for, for the people that you're leading isn't them eventually making other disciples, I don't think you share God's vision for them. Here's what I think we do too often. We want people to need us, and we lead them in that way. Instead of thinking about, I'm going to do what I can to equip and empower you so that you could do this. We should be making missionary disciples. I hope that you will make some small adjustments in your ministry and in the way that you think about things to be raising up the next generation of leaders. We find here in this story this spirit-filled community on mission. We see, finally, this spirit-filled community that cares for each other. Look at verses 33 and following. It says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. What are they doing? The reality of their love for each other and the unity that they have is showing up in real expressions of care. 
that they look at their resources, their possessions, their livelihood, their homes, their fields, and they go, if there's somebody in our community who needs something right now, and I can do something about that, I'll part ways with my gear so that I can bless them. Now, this will rub American Christians really wrong, right? This is something that kind of, you're like, oh, this doesn't apply to us, dude. I don't know what you're doing here, but you're meddling, so let, let's see what happens. But you, you might be saying, Corey, this sounds a lot like communism. And we've seen con- communism. It's a failed exper- experiment. You might think, this is just us telling Christians that they have to get rid of their stuff to help other people. Now, Kent Hughes, it's, it's not communism. It's very different. Here's, here's why. Christianity changes our hearts. It doesn't legislate what we do with our stuff. Christianity changes our hearts, so we want to share. Kent Hughes puts it like this. Communism says what's yours is everyone's. What's yours belongs to anyone who has need. Here's what Christianity says. What's mine is yours. If I have something and it would be of service to you, my heart has been radically changed by a gracious God, I'm going to be willing to part ways with my stuff. I think that the church needs to grow in this regard, that we need to be more generous people, that we need to look at all that we have and recognize it's all a gift from God. How can we best use it to serve his purposes? How can we best take what we have that God has entrusted to us and use it for the sake of his glory and the advancement of the kingdom? Now, the truth is, when we start talking about money, it reveals our hearts. And it will either show a commitment to Christ or it will reveal a deficiency in our discipleship. Here's what I mean. How you handle your money will show how deep your discipleship has gone. How you handle your possessions will reveal if you are 100% committed to God or not. And over and over in the book of Acts, I'm taking a class right now, and, and it was pointed out to me that Luke, as he's writing, he keeps, this theme keeps showing up, and he, he uses money as a way to show the character of the person, the heart of the person behind it. When somebody is following God, they deal with money differently. When somebody is self-interested and not concerned with God, they handle money differently. They handle it poorly. And so we have here an example of this test that we can do for our own hearts, for our own souls. How do we think about our stuff? Do we think it's ours? Do we think, this is mine, I'll just give a little bit away to keep people from bugging me? Or do we view it as, this all belongs to God. My ability to produce the stuff that I have, it's all his, and I just want to use it for his glory. Money can be a thing that helps us to examine our hearts, and we need to be able to share our possessions with other people. This was very significant in my story, because when I was 19 years old and I moved to Orlando, I had a lot of faith and not, no brains, okay? So I had a ton of faith, and I was like, I'm going to Orlando. And everyone said, what's your plan? I said, I don't have a plan. I just have faith. And so I show up in Orlando with my buddy Jared, and um, we don't have a place to stay, so we're going to end up staying at a campground. But I meet with this pastor, and he invites us over, and he begins asking us questions. And he's asking us about this ministry that we're starting, and he goes, okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, my son is going to move into my daughter's bedroom, and they're going to they're going to sleep in there. And you guys are going to get um, you're going to get that extra bedroom. You're going to get to stay with me, and I'm going to open my house to you, and you get to do you get to be a part of this. You'll be a part of family dinners, family movies, and all this stuff. And I was thinking to myself this week, that is weird. 
right? Like some moppy-headed dudes who are wakeboarders without a plan show up on his doorstep, and he's like, hey, why don't you just come on in, and we'll figure this thing out. And that's exactly what he did. He opened his home to me. He opened his life to me, and he helped me and Jared to figure out the next steps in our ministry. He got us a more permanent place to stay that wasn't a campground. And it was a beautiful thing. And so, and I think about that. Ash and I, we bought our home three years ago, and that story continues to resound in my mind. It's like, I want to use my home in that sort of way. If it's a possession that God has entrusted to me, I don't want to view it as, this is mine, this is sacred to me and my family. No, I want to use it for the advancement of the kingdom. What if we took all of the possessions that we had and we thought about, how could this best serve kingdom purposes? How can I use my car and my, my home and my stuff in a way that's actually going to be a blessing to others? We need to begin thinking more in terms of what God is doing here in this community of faith and less in terms of how we're being trained and discipled by our culture, which is really individualistic and selfish. And we just want more and more and more for us. Let's begin to pursue what God has for us with generosity. Let me give you some thoughts on how we might grow in this regard. How could we grow as Christians in regard to generosity with our possessions? Here's the first thing I want to say. I think you're going to have to pray for it. I don't think you're just going to come up with a slick plan that's going to help you be generous. I think you're going to have to pray just like these people prayed. God, fill us with your spirit. Give us grace and help us then to be loose-handed with the things that are entrusted to us. I think we need to pray. And I hope that you would commit this to prayer. In fact, if you find your bulletin, there's a little commitment card in there, and you could fill that out. You could say, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to begin to pray that God would help me with my resources. A second thing that you can do is, and I've found this very helpful in my own story, but I think a, a way that you can train your heart to be generous is to give in proportion to your income. That you can do this habit of giving that, it, that reflects your income. So when you get a paycheck, you say, I'm going to give a proportion of this to the work of God. And you can begin to do that. It's a concept that shows up early on in the Bible. It gets developed. But 2 Corinthians 8, verses 10 to, 10 to 12, make it very plain. Give in proportion to your income. Many of you do that. So I'm preaching to the choir here. Many of you give with the rhythm of your income. Weekly, every other week, twice a month, monthly, quarterly, yearly. Many of you guys have this pattern where you go, when money comes in, a portion of that is going to be given away to different ministries to advance the kingdom. In my own experience, that has been very helpful. I'm a selfish dude. So when I begin to train my heart toward generosity, I'm more likely now to see a need and go, oh, I could do something about that. But previously, the inclination of my heart is, not my problem. Not my problem. But when we begin to give, it helps us to grow in our generosity. I wonder if that's a step for some of us in here. And I wonder if that's a step of faith that you might take as an outcome of this. You could look at that communication card or commitment card and you could fill that out. I'm going to begin giving in proportion to my income. And some of us need that encouragement. We need, we need to just try it. And this commitment, this 100-day commitment, would be a way to, to give it a test run. See what happens. Here's another thing that we could do. We need to pay attention so that we are aware of the needs around us. Look again at the text. What do they do? They're aware that there are people who have needs, and then they do something about it. My problem with how to apply this in our setting is, 
I think most of us don't even know what the needs are. We are so private about our lives that I would be mainly unaware of the, of the, the needs that are going on even in here. We don't share. So we need to be paying attention and asking questions and expecting to go to that deep level in our relationships where we could be aware of what the needs are. But the first step, I think, is to simply pay attention and begin to think through what, what are, what's going on in the lives of the people that, that I do church and life together with. Are there needs here? Are there things that I could do to help? We need to pay attention. Another thing that we could do and it's here in the text, it's to, give, it's to give to spiritual authorities. What do they do? They sell their possessions. <clears throat> they, lay them at the, they lay the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. This is, this is kind of interesting, but I think Christians should be the ones who say, we're going to give resources to spiritual leadership so that they can figure it out. Right? Because most of us, we don't, have, we don't have the time or the energy to know what all the needs are, so we take this act of faith and we say, we're going to give it to an organization or we're going to give it to our local church, and we're going to trust that they're responsible to God. So this is an act of faith on my part. I don't know how all the money is distributed, but it's their problem now, right? And we need to take that step of faith and say, I'm going to give to spiritual leaders who will help to distribute the funds. I think that's a good thing, and we're going to give you a couple options to do that in just a moment. Another thing that we can do, another thing I think we need to do is we need to change the conversation. Instead of talking about money and resources as stuff that is ours, for our benefit, for our sake, let's change the conversation. How can we use what we have to bless other people? How can we use what God has entrusted to us for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom? Not just give me more, give me more stuff, but how can I take what I already have and best leverage it for the purposes of the kingdom? Now, if you're married... That's an important conversation, right? You need to sit down and go, sweetheart, how can we take these resources and our stuff and how can we best leverage it for the sake of the kingdom? All right, I'm going to wrap up here in just a moment. And you guys are staring at me like a cow stares at a new gate. So I know this stuff is weird and hard and, and awkward, but man, we need, as Christians, we need for discipleship to touch how we deal with our stuff. So here's, here's what I want you to be thinking about. <clears throat> How beautiful would it be if our church looked more like this, right? That if we were so spirit-filled, spirit so in tune with the things of God, that this becomes a safe relational environment where there's unity and beauty, where we love one another, we're patient with one another, where we confess our sins, when we get resentful or angry or bitter or full of anger or malice, where we say, look, this is going on in my heart and I know that's not right. And we pursue relational reconciliation. We say, look, we want to be a spirit-filled community that's full of beautiful relationships. What if, what if we said we want to be a spirit-filled community that's on mission? We're going to enlist everybody who's a part of our church, and we're going we're to equip and train them to march out of here and do life on mission, sharing the message of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible. And we're going to care well for one another. We're going to look for opportunities to use what we have to bless each other. And we're going to do this thing. We're going to be wholly committed to it, 100% committed to it. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Here's my final question. How can we make that come true? How can Central MP be the place, the church, where you say, this is a reality? I read the book of Acts, and it feels like it's describing my church. How could we do that? 
Let me give you a couple ideas. The band's going to come and we're going to sing once more, but a couple ideas. The first is we're going to need a whole lot more of the Spirit of God in us. Let's be praying that the Spirit of God would help us to do this. But here's the other thing. Let's follow our example, Jesus Christ. He's the one who is generous toward us. Let's follow him. His, his willingness to do what was best for other people resulted in our salvation. We trust in him for, with faith for, for forgiveness and restoration to God and the hope of glory. Let's follow him and his example. Let's stick closely to him. And I believe that our church will begin to look more and more and more like what we're finding here. Let me pray. And band, if you would come and get set. Lord, we, <clears throat> we ask right now to reveal our insufficiency. So we've talked about this stuff this morning. I feel a sense of, I can't do this. And that's actually a really good place to be. Help us in this moment to embrace the fact that we're not going to pull this off in our own strength. This is going to be a profound work of God in our hearts and in our church. Help us to, to humble ourselves enough to embrace that, that you, God, by your Spirit, can accomplish this. Help us to become a place of relational beauty, a place that's on mission with you, a place that shares freely the resources that we have for the advancement of the mission of God. Help us, God. We pray in your name. Amen.